no internet connection on this side here. Would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 25? Exodus chapter 25. We continue our series on the tabernacle. Now the scripture takes us from the inside out, from the holy of holies, the holiest place, the holy place to the to the uh, courtyard. But we have been going from the outside in. And now we come to the final piece of furniture. Chapter 25 of Exodus, beginning with verse 10. Chapter 25 and verse 10. And they shall make an ark of shatim wood, or acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves or poles of shatim wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves, or the poles, into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee, which is the tablets, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments called the Testimony. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. So the lid is mentioned in verse 17. And thou shalt make two cherubim of gold of beaten work shalt thou make them to in the two ends of the mercy seat and make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubim on the two ends thereof and the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high covering the mercy seat with their wings and their faces shall look one with one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment, unto the children of Israel. And once again, we trust the Lord will bless the public reading of His Word. My subject today is Jesus pictured by this final 
piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant that Jesus is God enthroned to save. What is your favorite piece of furniture in your home? I don't know if you've if, if, if a, an answer comes quickly or you have to think a little bit, maybe it's the dinner table. Maybe it's your favorite lounge chair. Maybe it's a display cabinet. Maybe it's a homemade piece, even if it seems to be an obscure piece of furniture in your home. What about here in the church building? What is your favorite piece of furniture here? Is it a platform chair? Very appropriate. Is it the communion table uh, that our brother Fred Cerniak um, made for us many years ago? He also made this little uh, stand for the pulpit light. Is it, if you're in a church that has a baptismal font for Children, maybe it's the baptismal font. Some of them are very uh, ornate, beautiful. Maybe it's the pulpit. Um, before I came from the south, there was a a craftsman in our church in Greenville, South Carolina, and and I asked if he could make a pulpit to take with us. Um, and please uh, state your state your price and. But we're going to need a pulpit. This is uh, almost 40 years old now. And uh, of course, he wouldn't take a penny for it, but he certainly offered. Very kind gentleman that did such a good job. I would have to say that this is probably my favorite piece because it's central. It's central uh, in the play, as, as preaching is central in the church. It's central because the gospel of Christ is preached behind this, how often it's called a sacred desk. And the worship of the Lord is priority in a congregation. But, however, we might think is our cherished piece of furniture at home or in the church, the most important, we might say, or precious piece of furniture in the tabernacle and in the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. It was the the final piece as you went from the inside or from the outside in. And it was central in that holiest place of all, the the most inner room there, where was symbolized the very presence of God. And it symbolized heaven itself. As we read in Hebrews 9, that the Lord Himself entered the holy place. He entered heaven beyond the veil after He died for our sins. And you know, we have diagrams uh, of the tabernacle and you can find them online, But, or I'm sorry, of, of the tabernacle and the pieces of furniture. And for those of you online, the Ark of the Covenant is, is a miniature drawing here, a miniature picture. And you see that it's all of gold. Uh, as far as the the outside is concerned, we don't know if they put plates of gold and, and little nails of gold into the wood, or if it was another way of I, I speak as a fool of glazing of, of pure gold. But it was 
fine gold. It was not, it was not the, the gold, for instance, that was that that that, that the cherubim were made of, or some of the other pieces were not always made of pure and fine gold, but the gold around the Ark of the Covenant, inside and outside, was pure, pure gold, and it had to have been a dazzling piece of furniture. And if the Lord in His Shekinah glory was lighting that room because there was no artificial light, the, the lamp was outside that room, outside the, the, the veil, the curtain. And so the priests could see in the first room, they could see by the light of the lamp, the altar of incense and the uh, table of bread. Those were the three pieces. The lamp was on... The, um, the south side, the, the table of bread was on the north side and the altar of incense, the incense altar, the golden altar was before the curtain on, we want you say, the west side and beyond that was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible tells us that the Shekinah glory was was lightening up that room. And so... If indeed when the priests went in and once a year on the Day of Atonement inside that room to sprinkle blood on the lid, on the seat, then can you imagine the, the, the resplendent glory, the, the reflection of that pure gold that must have been dazzling to his eye, maybe even uh, blinding to him. But it was a glorious piece of furniture. And you see on that that it not only was a box, it was a chest, an ark, four square. wasn't that large. Two and a half cubits long, which is about, what, 36 uh, inches plus another 9, 40, about 47 inches or so, 46 inches. And it was one and a half cubits uh, wide and tall. So that's only, again, that's only 18 plus 9, 27 inches or so. So it wasn't a very large piece of furniture. But it also had cherubim, two angels. The cherubim are recorded in Genesis they guard the glory of God, so to speak. But we don't know how tall they were. They may have only been a foot tall or shorter or a little bit taller. You see that the wings are together and they're looking down at the mercy seat in a reverential position. And we're told that the Lord dwelt between the cherubim and whether it speaks of him sitting there on the seat or standing on the seat, the point is that that was his throne room. That room was a picture of, of heaven itself. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus ascended to heaven, that he sat down on the right hand of God. And so the picture would be that Jesus is in this room, pictured not only by the ark itself, but pictured as the king that is sitting upon his throne. It's just obviously a, a complex picture. 
mixed metaphors, but it certainly speaks of the glory of Christ. And how do we unpack this? And I, I look at it as conveying the truth that Jesus is God enthroned to save sinners. So, when you look in Exodus, it's the very first piece that is mentioned uh, in chapter 25 and then in chapter 37. It's the first piece mentioned. It's the chief piece of furniture in the tabernacle. The Bible tells us there was a box, there was a chest, an ark, there was a seat or a lid, and there was a crown around the lid. We're assuming that it it was it was a it was a crown that was tall around the lid, just like the table of bread, so that items could not fall off that. Um, it, and it's not so much that the items were, like the cherubim, were probably uh, fixed to the lid. They could not slide off. But perhaps it was more ornate as far as the ark was concerned, the lid. Perhaps, again, speaking of the fact there's a king that's residing there and the crown around that lid indicated that. Now we're told of the contents. Now God said, I'm going to put the testimony in the ark. Remember, God did not give Moses the, the tablets, the, the stone tablets until uh, later, until chapter 34. And so He said, I'm going to put the testimony in there. And the, the testimony were the two stone tablets of commandments, but the idea of a testimony is that a Lord is giving the terms of His covenant relationship with His people uh, and He's going to put them in the ark. These are the terms by which God is going to have a covenant relationship with you. These are your terms of communion with God. These are your terms of worshiping God. But also we're told that later on that not only was, was the were the Ten Commandments in that box, but the pot of manna. Remember backwards in chapter um, 16, we're told that they were to, ha to fill a, a jar or a pot of manna and keep that as a memorabilia, as a as a reminder of God's provision for them in the wilderness. And obviously the Lord would keep that from rotting and stinking. Uh, and people do those kinds of things today. Uh, whether they're going to eat them or not, people have jars of, of uh, pickles that may be 5, 10, 15 years old. And I uh, heard one, about one the other day, the man didn't realize that he had a jar of pickles on his shelf that was about 20 years old. And I said, you should have tried them. He, he sent them into the trash. But, um, but this manna, they didn't worry about whether it was going to rot and stink. But So we had, inside the ark, the Bible tells us, Hebrews chapter 9, there was the pot of manna, there was the rod of Aaron, 
that budded, and that's not until Numbers chapter 17 when the Lord said, add that to the box, and the tablets of stone. Now we're told when, when uh, Solomon built the temple, and this is recorded in 1 Kings 8 verse 9, that the ark only had the two stone tablets inside, that the pot of manna and the rod of Aaron that budded were no longer inside it. Whether the Philistines had taken them or whether they lost them, we're not sure. And of course, by the time of Jesus and the disciples, the stone tablets were missing. And uh, of course, the ark had been it was long missing. And we don't know if they constructed a facsimile uh, because they still had a curtain and they still had a holy place, but you can understand that that things had to be uh, artificial if they had any furniture left over. So we come to the the truth: what is symbolized about Jesus in the Ark of the Covenant? And I just have three thoughts this morning: How is Jesus symbolized in the Ark of the Covenant? Firstly, I believe that Jesus is symbolized as God incarnate. So you have, first of all, the, the, the furniture, the piece of furniture itself, its construction. Just with some other pieces, they're wood overlaid with pure gold. The lamp was pure gold, but the table was pure gold that was overlaying hard, long-lasting wood the acacia tree or the shatim, or shatim wood. The incense altar was wood overlaid with pure gold. The ark was wood overlaid inside and outside with pure gold. The mercy seat was not of wood at all. The mercy seat was of pure gold with that golden crown like similar to what was around the table of bread and the incense altar. But is there is there any truth about even the the uh, materials of the Ark of the Covenant? Wood overlaid with gold. Is there a thought there? Many believe it pictures that Jesus was human and Jesus was divine. That the indestructible wood we would call what hard wood and there are certain woods that we that we have that are maybe longer lasting than other woods, whatever they may be. Maybe it's cherry or maybe it's... I'm I'm not a woodsman, but uh, there are certain woods that we would say last longer than than others. Well, this was a kind of wood that was long-lasting, and but even that was overlaid with pure gold. And many commentators over the years and, and God's people have indicated that the indestructible wood is, is pointing to the humanity of Christ, but the pure gold that overlaid it or were plates that were nailed to the wood speak of Christ's deity. The fact that He was, a, he was an indestructible human, as it were. He's the only one that had an immaculate conception. He's the only one that had an immaculate birth. He's the only one that had an immaculate life. It's the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. He's God manifest in the flesh. 
He was a real man. God, think about this, God walked on the earth. I mean, as they looked at Jesus, they saw God, but they saw a man. Jesus didn't have a halo over his head. He was the man, Christ Jesus. So the wood perhaps refers to his humanity, that he was a real man. That was inside, as it were. That was unseen in the Ark of the Covenant and in the holiest of all. Just like today in heaven... What is paramount is His glory, is His deity. Oh, he, we see, we would, we'll see Him as a human being. But unlike when they saw Him on the earth, He looked only as a human being. In heaven, we're going to see Him. Yes, He'll be a man, but we'll see God. We'll see uh, His glory as the high priest saw the pure gold, knowing that the wood was within was on the inside the pure gold was gold sparkling and this we believe is speaking of Jesus as God he said I am the son of God the the psalmist prophesied as Hebrews uh, quotes thy throne O God is forever and ever remember what Thomas said when he saw Jesus my Lord and my God you see holiest place of all was where God's presence was. And Jesus is God and, and He is in heaven itself and seated at God's right hand. He is equal with God. He's Emmanuel, the Bible says. God with us. And people say, well, how does gold speak of deity? Well, if you look in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 5 that there's a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ there and it says that the man's loins were of pure gold. And in Revelation chapter 1, John sees the Lord Jesus Christ glorified and he sees that Christ has a golden sash. Indeed, there are many proofs to indicate that Jesus is God. He he was pre-existent to the man Jesus. He is the Son of God that was pre-existent to the man Christ Jesus. The Bible teaches He had two natures. Not just a human nature, but a divine nature. He was called God. He had the characteristics of God. He was all-knowing and all-powerful. He could change a storm and and, and turn a a storm into a calm. He could could heal a man born blind. He was all-knowing. He saw Nathaniel under a certain tree. He knew the thoughts of people. He was equal with the Father. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, He didn't think it a thing to be grasped to be equal with God. He knew He was equal with God. In other words, the proofs of Jesus' deity are not obscure texts of the Bible. Not a minimum of verses or a minimum of proofs. There are many different categories of proofs to teach us that Jesus is God. And so, believe it's true that, that the Ark of the Covenant speaks of Jesus as being man and God. The indestructible wood and the pure, fine gold of the Ark of the Covenant. And also the fact that the cherubim, and we find the cherubim guarding God's holiness 
They're in the Garden of Eden with the, with the swords to prevent sinful man getting close to the presence of God. Isaiah chapter 6, they're the ones crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the cherubim are, are there. I'm sorry, not, the, not, the, not the, the, the seraphim were crying, Holy, holy, holy. But the cherubim were guarding God's holiness, God's uh, godhood, if you will. It just speaks of reverence and it speaks of holiness when you see the, the cherubim there on the, the lid, on the, the mercy seat. Jesus is God. But we see secondly, the Ark of the Covenant speaks of Jesus as the King who is enthroned. When we speak of the Ark of the Covenant, not only the piece of furniture and how it was constructed, but the place where it was set. It was a separate room, the innermost room of the tabernacle itself, called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. It represents heaven. It's God's throne room. Eight times we're told that either God dwellest or sittest between the cherubim. Well, it speaks of a king that's sitting upon his throne and is exalted above all. There's a seat on top of that box. It's his throne, if you will. And he says, There I will meet with thee. And he meets with us as king. As he said uh, to Moses, that he will be there to meet with Moses, Exodus 25-22, from between the two cherubim, which are uh, upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give you in commandment unto the children of Israel. In other words, as a king, he is giving Moses directions and commandments as far as how his people are to live and how his people are to be governed. He's the governor. And from that place, he is, he is executing his kingship in his kingdom. And what are we told in Hebrews, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Lord said unto my Lord, remember Psalm 110, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is called David's Lord, Psalm 110. And David is relaying that the Father is saying to the Son, Take the highest place in heaven at my right hand. I have set my King upon my holy hill of Zion. Psalm 80 and Psalm 99. The Lord reigneth. He sitteth between the cherubim. And they're called the cherubim of glory in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 5. Guarding God's holiness. And so indeed, the Bible indicates that the the holiest of holy is symbolic of God's throne room, of God's uh, sacred place. And the Bible tells us that Jesus ascended and sat down in the right hand of God. He says in Revelation 3, I sat down on my Father's throne. Every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
We're to crown Him as it were. We sing, crown Him, the Lamb upon His throne. And I saw a great white throne and Him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Jesus said, as recorded by John in John 5, The Father hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Jesus is the King of glory. He's the King of saints. He's the King of kings. And so, the Ark of the Covenant, being in the holiest place of all, speaks of Jesus as God, and He's enthroned as King. And just ponder those first truths of the Ark of the Covenant. He is God. Wood overlaid with pure gold. He is enthroned as King. He is in that throne room. He is seated at the right hand of God. He's the King. There's a crown around the, the, the lid itself. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is crowned Lord of all. But it's God enthroned as King. But that's true whether or not there was a cross. Whether or not there was a fall or whether or not there was sin to be forgiven. And we have, we have to see a third truth that is critical. Jesus is God enthroned as King to save sinners because that lid every year had blood sprinkled upon it. And so that fine gold had blood on it. And then that blood would, would dry and the high priest, when he went in the second time and the third time, the first time he went in, it was pure gold. There was no blood on it. He took blood inside. Not without blood could he dare go in there. The Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16. Once a year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the priest went in and sprinkled the lid. The next year, sprinkled the lid for years then he'd see the blood still upon the lid. And it speaks of Jesus as the Savior, not just as God and, and as King, but now He's the Savior of sinners. And again, think about the contents inside the lid. You had the Ten Commandments crying out, as it were, symbolically. They're crying out. What are they crying out? If man is unfallen, they're crying out justified or man is obedient. But now they're crying out condemnation, death, judgment. And to put the lid on silences the law. But it's not silence except that lid has blood upon it. There's a picture there. And the Bible calls Jesus, by the way, the seat of propitiation in Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. That lid is symbolic of covering God's wrath. Silencing God's wrath. Again, take the lid off and it cries out for our destruction because we've broken God's laws. Just like the Bible says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so we've got to put the lid on. You put the lid on and the law no longer can cry against us. But the, Bible, the picture is, and there are many pictures that God gave us in the Old Testament, but the blood has to be shed. 
the blood is applied to the lid and it's called an atonement lid in Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. It's called the mercy seat. And that, I think, was, was Tyndale's rendition. But it's the lid of atonement. In other words, it's saying that God's wrath is covered. Symbolized in the law crying out. It's God's law. It's God's Word that's on those tablets of stone. And when you put the lid on, it's silencing God's wrath. But His wrath could only be silenced by the blood shedding of Jesus Christ. That lid had to have blood upon it. And God is, is, is appeased. His wrath is appeased by the death of Jesus Christ. Not by our good works. Not by anything that we can do. And so, the blood on the lid speaks of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. He's the Lamb. Our day of atonement was at Calvary. That's our Yom Kippur, the day of our atonement. Jesus, when He died on the cross, ended all the, the, the need for symbolic offerings and sacrifices. When that uh, tax collector in the temple could not even look, look up at, and in the air and, and smote upon his breast, he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And the word be merciful is the same word propitiation or atonement from Romans chapter 3, verse 25. He knew the theology. He didn't say, God, think, think kindly of me because I'm just a lowly man or I'm, I'm just a sinner or, or look upon my works. What he was saying was, God, may your wrath be appeased by the blood of the sacrifice. He understood the theology of sacrifice, of atonement. Though he didn't know that Jesus was the one that would die for him, he saw the symbolism in the dying of, of goats and the dying of bulls and the dying of birds that they symbolized the final sacrifice of the Lamb that God would send. And so the contents of the ark speak of Christ as the Savior of sinners. And you know it's interesting. The Bible tells us that when Jesus would come, the prophecy of Jesus in Psalm 40 is, Thy laws within my heart. Thy laws within my heart. Think about it. The laws in the ark. The ark is Christ. It's in His heart. He kept the law for us. The law cries out against us because we're sinners. But Christ kept the law. And He suffered the condemnation of the law that we deserved. Inside that ark were two other things that speak of Christ. The rod that budded. Remember that the rebellion of the Israelites. Whether... Aaron and the tribe of Levi were to really to be the only priests. And God said, I want you to put your sticks inside the, the, the tabernacle. Just plain sticks. Twelve of them. And the next day, there were eleven sticks that, had no, that were still dead sticks. But Aaron's rod had, had buds, flowers, and fruit. It was a miracle. 
But in other words, it pictures resurrection. It pictures the fact that that God brings new life through the priesthood and the offerings and the and the uh, the work of Christ pictured in the ceremonial law. And he said, "Put that, put Aaron's rod with the buds and the flowers and the fruit inside that ark." It speaks of Christ, not just dying, but rising from the dead. Jesus is pictured as rising from the dead, as bearing the wrath of God, but accomplishing that purpose, appeasing God's wrath by His death. And then the pot of manna. What does that speak of? Because Christ shed His blood, because Christ rose from the dead, He feeds us with His manna. He is the bread of life. That we are not only saved and justified, we are being sanctified by the work of Jesus Christ. It's just, I understand it's a, it's a complex idea. There are mixed metaphors being given here. But they're all speaking, they're all shouting, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. By His stripes are we healed. It's His blood that, that not only appeases God's wrath, but releases our sins. He, he saves us from our sins. It was Jesus as He was bleeding that said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Why have you forsaken Me? They were sprinkling blood upon that lid because the law would have to call for our condemnation if Jesus didn't die for us. Jesus rose from the dead. Aaron's rod that budded. And so Jesus justifies. Jesus resurrects us. He regenerates us. And Jesus satisfies. He is the manna, the bread of life. In other words, He's the King of our salvation. The Ark of the Covenant says, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He is God He is King and He is Savior. It's the Ark of the Covenant. God's terms to save us and to keep us saved and for us to be in covenant with Him are all contained in the the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, we commune with God. There I will meet with thee. There I will commune with you. Amen. Oh, Father in Heaven, we thank Thee for the the types of Christ that You revealed to us in Your Word. We thank Thee that the shadows pointed so clearly to, to Jesus and so many. Lord, what one symbol, what one picture could could explain the great salvation plan of, of our God to deliver us from so great a death, from terrifying wrath, so eternal hell and punishment. Well, Father, this is a picture of our Savior. He is the Ark of the Covenant. Well, when we think of the other Arks in the Bible, even Noah's Ark, protected them from the wrath of God. 
Those that were outside the ark were destroyed. And even, Lord, that little ark that, that Moses was placed in kept him from drowning and kept him from the, the beasts in the Nile River. Lord, I thank Thee that You are our ark. That, that You kept the law for us. That You died for us. You shed Your blood. You rose from the dead. And You satisfy our souls. Lord, we live by Thee. Lord, as, as Paul said, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. Lord, open our eyes to behold wondrous things from Your Word. Teach us, Lord. Show us more of the symbolism that points to Jesus. Show us more of Christ. We need Him. We need Thee. Thank You for Your Word. Please help us to meditate upon these things. Please change us by our our view of our Savior today.